turn in your Bibles to the fifth chapter of the book of Hosea as we continue our study through the Word. So the book of Hosea, just a, a, a powerful, powerful book speaking about the, the, the faithfulness, how God's desire is faithfulness, that God is faithful to us. Amen. How faithful has God been in our lives? We look back at the faithfulness of God. I will stick closer than a brother to you. I will never depart uh, from you. And, and God's love, the faithfulness of God. And he has invited us into relationship with him. And he has invited us to be faithful to him as he is faithful to us. And so he took the nation of Israel, made them his own special people, brought them to Mount Sinai, gave them the, the law, the code of how my people are going to live. And they're going to live and look different than any other people on the face of the earth. And I'm going to bless them. I am going to pour out my blessing upon them and I will protect them. When nations come against them, I will fight before them. And I will keep them safe. And they will be my people. And I will be their God. And the whole world will see what a, what a nation in right relationship with the true and the living God. The paganism that was across the whole world. All people bowing down to these images, to these idols, to these stones and wood. And, and God said, I'm going to set up my people to where the light will shine. They'll be the testimony to the rest of the world. He said to my people, now, most important thing, I'm going to bring you into a land, and in the land, I'm judging those people and driving them out. They, they worship stones and wood and all kinds of false gods. Do not follow after their gods. Let me be clear. One more time. Do not follow after their gods. Brings them into the land. Oh my gosh, it's a land that flows with milk and honey. The pastures, the lands, the, they become prosperous. They become wealthy. They, they have enemies and God goes and fights before them, drives the enemies out before them. And, and so they, they grow exceedingly powerful. King David rules and reigns. Solomon, the wisest, richest man on the face of the earth. And, and after Solomon, Solomon now, Marries multitudes of wives, concubines, tremendous numbers. And, and again, God had told him not to do that because they will bring their false gods with them. And idolatry begins to creep in. And after Solomon, the kingdom splits. There's a rebellion and ten tribes go to the north and, and two to the south. The southern kingdom has Judah and Benjamin. They, they've got the temple. And the ten northern tribes, they're like, you know what? They've got the temple. And people are going to keep on going there when the feast times come. And so we have to do something about that. So we'll set up our own places of worship in the north section, Dan, and, and down in the southern section here as well. So the people have a place to go and worship and don't go to the temple and and now the idolatry begins and, and they start to worship the false gods. And, and God sends prophets 
to warn them. Hey, 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 people, wake up. What are, you, what are you doing? What are you doing? And, and they're like, oh, we're not really doing anything wrong. We're just, you know, okay, we're sorry. And they would kind of make this, you know, this surface level apology and make some slight changes, but there, there was no real reform. And God keeps sending prophets and tells them it's getting serious. Guys, it's getting serious now. When they had been at Mount Sinai, God said that if you keep the covenant, I will bless you. But he says, if you don't keep the covenant, then I'm going to bring these judgments on you. So, so he warns them in advance. Puts it, I mean, Moses writes it all out. They've got it in front of them. They, they have the word of God that is before them, but they're not listening to it, and they're not paying attention to it, and they're not paying attention when God sends the prophets to them to, to warn them either. And so God takes Hosea now. And he says, I, I, I want to create a picture for them. People like stories, and people learn through, through pictures. And, and so Hosea is told to go and to marry this prostitute, this unfaithful woman. He's going to bless her. He's going to be good to her, and, and he's going to rescue her. But then she is going to become unfaithful to him. And it's a picture of the nation of Israel and how he took them and he blessed them and he married them and, and provided for them and, and yet they just went after their, their own hearts and, and the infidelity to God. And so the book of Hosea is about the fact that the, the hourglass, the sands have run out. I have warned and warned and warned. I have pleaded, I have pleaded, I have pleaded. And still you will not return to me. And so the Assyrians are going to be the instrument of judgment that God is going to allow to have them be taken out of the land, which was the, the judgment that was written in Mount Sinai there for infidelity, for spiritual adultery before God if they would not be faithful. But the book of Hosea is also a book of hope because though he is going to bring judgment and take him out of the land, he's not done with the nation of Israel. And so all of the promises that the Messiah is going to come and that the nation is going to one day rule in righteousness over the whole earth, the millennial promises, and, and all of these things are still intact and, and so we see that even through the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel, of the ten northern tribes, they, that God is still going to be faithful to do and accomplish every single thing that he has said that he is going to accomplish. And so we, we see the, the goodness of God, the greatness of God. We see the restoration, the future promise of, of the nation of Israel and that, and that God never quits on anybody. Are we not so thankful that God never quits on anybody? And so the message, the redeeming thread of hope that is in the book of Hosea, that God still has a plan, and that in God's love uh, is an eternal love.
And so we begin here in this fifth chapter, verse 1, and, and now it is going to be addressed to the leaders, to the kings and to the priests that were leading the people astray. And, and it says, hear this, verse 1, O priests, take heed, O house of Israel, give ear, O house of the king, for yours is the judgment, because you have been a snare to Mizpah and a net spread on Tabor. And so here we see that the accusations had uh, earlier now addressed the entire nation. You, O house of Israel, but now it is the, uh, the religious leaders, the priests, uh, and the royal house are, are called onto the carpet. The leaders had encouraged the people into false worship at the cult sites that were set up at Mizpah and at Tabor. And so in doing so, they, the, the religious leaders were setting a snare for the people to fall into. They were helping the people into idolatry instead of doing the very opposite thing which would have been to try and lead them away from idolatry and to point them to the Lord, to use their influence for good. Today in our culture, one of the key words you hear is influencers, influencers. Everybody wants to be an influencer. And I think that's great. Here's my question. What are you influencing them towards? <laughs> what are you going to do with your influence? Most of the time, influencers means popularity. It means that they want now to have recognition and respect and to, and to lift themselves up. But true leadership is pointing everybody to the true and the living God. That's what we were created for, to, to get a platform. If you get a platform, then lift the name of Jesus Christ on high and point everybody towards God. Use your influence for good. These religious leaders, they had influence, they had status, they were chosen, they had the robes, they had the respect of the people, but rather than using their influence for righteousness, they were using their influence for unrighteousness. And the same thing with the, the government with the leadership that was in the land. The Bible tells us that when we have a righteous government, the people are going to be blessed. But when you have an unrighteous government, then the people are going to lament. They are going to mourn. Because we're either headed towards God as a nation or we're headed away from God as a nation. And righteousness, what? Exalts a nation. Righteousness is what exalts a nation. And so here we see that the leadership in the country here is called onto the carpet because rather than having that positive, good influence on the nation, leadership was leading them astray. The Bible tells us to pray for our leaders. Pray for those that are in office. Pray for those that are in the government. Pray what? Pray that they would lead us into righteousness. Amen? That that would be the direction that our nation goes in. Because we know that when we're headed towards God, that our nation's going to be blessed. And when we're headed away from God, then no amount of reform, no amount of individual issue is going to be of significance if the nation is heading in the wrong direction. In other words, if the ship is taking on water, the answer isn't to bail faster. 
It sealed the cracks. Sealed the cracks. The nation needs to be heading on the path of righteousness towards God. And each and every one of us, we're influencers. And we're to use our influence. If you're a mother, you're an influence over your child. If you're a father, you're an influence as head of household. And, and in every area that you have been given relationships, you are an influencer in those relationships. At work, you're an influencer on the people that are around you. I remember when, one time a friend of mine was talking, he's, had this friend at work that he had known for 15 years and just found out the other day he's a Christian. <laughs> and he's been a Christian for 15 years. And it's like, and you just found that out uh, today. Letting your light shine, using your influence for uh, righteousness. Uh, here we see that God is holding them accountable for they had positions of influence, but they weren't using it properly. The revolters, verse 2, are deeply involved in slaughter, though I rebuke them all. I know, Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry, and Israel is defiled. The revolters, the, the rebels, these are the, the priests, the, the priests that are supposed to be pointing people towards God, and they've gone to great depths now as it were, to, to slaughter their prey, the, the innocent people that are falling into the, the traps and the snares, the so spiritual imagery that he is using here. And he says, though I rebuke them all, and so they didn't respond to God's rebuke. He was sending them prophets. And, and when the prophets would come, and tell them that they were involved in idolatry and they needed to turn and go in a different direction. You know what they'd say? You're a false prophet. <laughs> and they would declare the true prophets as the false prophets. And then they would take the false prophets that were telling them that God is blessing you and look at peace and prosperity and don't listen to those false prophets. And they were raising up men that would tickle their ears. The Bible says in the last days, the same exact thing is going to happen. That people aren't going to want to know the truth. Instead, they're going to push the truth to the side or relegate the truth. Or even better, they're going to say there's no such thing as truth. And now, if there's no such thing as truth, then tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I want to hear. And so, today, we have such a watered-down gospel oftentimes that is being taught and declared truth is being pushed to the side. And God says, I, I did my part. I sent the word of God, the eternal inerrant word of God. And, and it is to be the centerpiece, but instead it is being pushed to the side. He says, for now, O Ephraim, you, you commit harlotry and Israel is defiled. Now, in Israel, we see, is the declaration that, that they cannot hide its sin from God. The nation had become corrupt and, through its spiritual idolatry. And a nation's sin stands open before the eyes of the Lord. Amen? So God sees everything that is going on. It's, you cannot hide it. And so here we see that God is declaring, I see your sin. Verse 4, they do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God, for the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know 
the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. And so here we see they do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God. The things that they're interested in and concerned with in their life are not getting right with God. Their relationship with God is not what is important to them. Do you know what's important to them? Prosperity is important to them. You know what's important to them? Comfort is important to them. Pleasure is important to them. And so what were they doing? They, they, they were worshiping the true and the living God, but then they were also worshiping these other gods to try and add on all of these extra things into their life. They weren't satisfied with what God was giving to them. They wanted to add more. And so they were going outside of the bounds of the relationship with God to try and add more into their life. And so here we see that, that their actions, their deeds, they, they were not directed towards turning to their God. And then he says, why? For the spirit of harlotry, that spirit of lust, instead of the spirit of God. They were chasing after the spirit of lust, harlotry, instead of the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that will lead us and guide us and will help us and comfort us and that seeking after the face of the Lord, chasing after him, like David, who was a man that chased after God's heart. Women's Retreat had a theme, and the theme was more. What are you chasing after? What do you want more of? Jesus said this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But when you're seeking after the things instead of seeking after God, you're going the wrong way. And it's going to lead you astray. And, and how much is enough? It's never enough. And so here we see that, that now there is this spirit of lust, this spirit of, of wanting to consume more in order to be happy. And great fear that I have is the incredible power of social media and TikTok and all that just puts all of these images before you that just, it, it kind of like is appetizers of, of look at what everybody else has and it makes you want more and it, it is creating discontent and, and a chasing after this illusion. It's an illusion. It's unfulfilling. It's emptiness. And so here we see that the nation was, was filled with this this belief that more is going to make them happy. And that is a lie right straight from the pit of hell. The more that's going to make you happy is more God in your life, period. Chase God. But they weren't chasing God. Their pride, the nation's arrogance, that they were wealthy and prosperous and, and doing well. 
This now led them to believe they're headed down the right path. It was God's mercy and grace that was allowing them to still be prosperous even when they had turned away from him. Possibly a parallel to our own nation where we are still comfortable. We are still prosperous here upon the nation. But yet the soul of the nation is moving away from God. Study after study is giving warnings about the spiritual health of our nation and believers and committed believers and, and so. But yet our nation is still blessed and, and people are still comfortable and we still say one nation under God and divisible with liberty and justice for, for all. But more and more, it's becoming just words that we recite by rote instead of truth that was wanted to be declared and etched and passed on to, to every generation that, that would call themselves Americans. And, and so the same type of parallels we see here, that, that pride now that, that we are prosperous and we can do what we want. But Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit comes before a fall. With their flocks and herds they shall go to seek the Lord, but they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. And they have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. And now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. He says, they shall go and seek the Lord. Israel, they would come. They would approach God. They would bring sacrifices and sacrificial offerings taken from their flocks and, and their herds. But but their sins had so separated them from the Lord that now these external gestures, they, they were inconsequential. They, they weren't wanting to repent and get right. They were just going through the motions. Oh, this is what God wants. He wants this sacrifice. So we'll give God what he wants, and then we'll keep chasing after what we want. And so they're appeasing God. And yet, it says that he has withdrawn himself from them. It says that they have begotten pagan children. And, and this is speaking of the fact that, that your children follow you in your footsteps. Amen? And as they were now worshiping pagan gods along with the true and the living God, what was happening now, their children were following into those footsteps. And, and so now uh, they have a heritage of, of pagan children and new moons shall devour them. Participation in, in these festivals would, would actually now hasten their destruction. And so the, the judgment is imminent. We see that instead of joyfully welcoming the, the new moon, the new moon is going to be a reminder of the arrival of the judgment that is going to come at the hands of the Assyrians because God has withdrawn himself. So when God withdraws himself, he withdraws his protection also. 
And so as he was the defense for the nation, as, as he withdraws and retreats now because of their sin, their enemies are going to come into unprotected walls and cities. The Bible says that un unless the Lord defends the city, the watchmen watch in vain. What, what good is it if you blow the horn, the enemy's coming, but you don't have an army? You can't protect yourself. You can stand on the wall and watch, but watching isn't going to protect you. And so the, the, the protection of God has been withdrawn. Blow the ram's horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud at Beth Avon. Look behind you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. And so the sound of battle trumpets was about to be heard in Israel. God was going to bring the Assyrians in to judge the nation for their sin. And so Gibeah and Ramah and Bethaven, these are cities belonging to the tribe of Benjamin in the south. And, and so Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. The desolation of Ephraim is certain now to take place because it had been announced by the Lord. He says, I make known what is sure. The coming judgment is going to fulfill the covenant declaration that's found in Leviticus for the judgment. He says, I make known what is sure. He is pointing to the trustworthiness of God's word, that when God says it, that God means it, and that we can trust it, and that his word is sure. How important is it that his word is sure? It's not that, you know, God tells the truth most of the time. <laughs> you, you can trust most of the things in the Bible. Because if you can only trust most of the things in the Bible, which are the things you can't trust? You know, and then how do we know what you can and you can't trust? And then, and then the whole thing unravels. But God says, no, when I declare it, you can absolutely trust it. I make known what is absolutely sure. And so when God reveals something, that is absolute rock-solid truth. That is the rock that you can build your life upon that will never crumble. It will never fade. It will never fail. I make known what is sure. Our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins, they're sure. Isn't that awesome? That, that's a declaration in the Word of God that you can stand upon. The Lord's return, that is absolutely certain. Our hope of heaven, absolutely sure. Why? Because God is the one that has made that known to us. And so we can absolutely trust it. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, they, they would use stones to, for the property lines. And, and so... Obviously, it was wrong to, in the middle of the night, take the marker stone and move it so that you now have more property and your neighbor has less property. You're not allowed to do this. God said, do not move the boundary stones. But here we see the princes of Judah. They're like those who remove a landmark. What does that mean? I mean, we know the context. You're, you're not to move. How are the princes of Judah like 
those that move boundary stones. Well, a person that moves boundary stones, they're, they're greedy for more land. They're just interested in the land that they're going to gain, and they have no concern for the people that they're taking the land from. See, what was happening is, is that God was declaring that he is going to judge the ten northern tribes, and that the Assyrians are going to be the instruments of the judgment. And so Judah, they're saying, well, you know what? When God takes them out of the land, guess what? More land for us, and we'll go get the land. Rather than having compassion upon their brothers and the other tribes and caring that the fact that they're being judged for idolatry, they were indifferent and just like, hey, we'll have more for us, and we'll, we'll scoop up the spoils. And so the, the, <coughs> the princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. And his warning, and I will pour out my wrath on them like water. When somebody else's misfortune makes you happy because you get to profit from their misfortune, that's a bad heart. That is a bad heart. God's not going to bless that. God's not going to honor that. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by human precept. And therefore, I will be to Ephraim like a moth and to the house of Judah like rottenness. And so to Ephraim, he's going to be like a moth. Now, in their day, moths were detested because you remember how expensive clothing was. They didn't have the looms that we have today. And just being able to put clothing on your back, that, that was a challenge when you go to Israel visit this place where they show you how they lived back in Jesus' day and, and how they would take the, the cotton and then they would pull the cotton and then turn it into thread and then from thread put it onto a loom and then they would have to weave it in. It was so much work just to get to a piece of cloth and, and all. But moths would come and eat the cloth. And so they destroy your clothes. You go into your drawer to put on your garment, and it's moth-eaten, and it has holes in it. And that was such a huge, huge thing. He says here that, that now he is going to be like a, a moth to Ephraim and to the house of Judah, like rottenness. And so uh, here we see that this is the progressive bone decay is the reference here and to a physical unhealth. And, and, and so this figurative language that's being used here is, is just declaring the sovereignty of God, that he's in control. God is in control. Say that with me. God is in control. Isn't it good to affirm that? Isn't that good that when you read the news, when you see everything that's going on, to, to just remind yourself of this? God is in control. Not only is God in control, but guess what? I want to remind you, lest you ever get sick and hard over everything that is going on, you were chosen to live at this very point in time. God chose you to be a difference maker in this time. Not to be discouraged, but to trust in the Word of God, to keep your eyes up, to grow in faith and to grow in your own ability to walk in the difficulty of the times that, that we are living in. You could have been born anywhere, but God said, no, your purpose is now 
and it's here. And I'm in control. So keep your eyes on me and let's go get after it. And, and so it is exciting times that we are living in. It's exciting for every generation because that's the generation that God called them to live to fight the battles of that generation with him leading the charge in every generation. The generation is going to have its battles. But God is the one that's out in front of all of it. And we're chosen for the generation that we are living in. You were chosen to be here today, to be alive, and to let your light shine before men, to learn how to love more fully, more completely, to avoid the pitfalls of the world, to keep your eyes on the prize, to keep your eyes on the glory of Christ and the entrance into heaven and, and to be concerned with, uh, with the souls of those that are uh, around us. This is exciting times to be uh, living in. And so uh, here we see that God is in control and so he's letting that know that when Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah saw his wound then Ephraim went to Assyria and they sent to King Jareb yet he cannot cure you nor heal you of your wound you see when you cast God off as your provider as your protector and then you get into trouble where you turn you start to turn elsewhere and the very place that the nation of Israel was supposed to turn was to God. Had they forgotten their rich history? Had they forgotten what God had done in the birth of the nation with Egypt, the most powerful military force on the face of the earth, and, and God opens up the sea, draws them into it, and closes it over and makes a graveyard of the, of the sea. He had protected them and set them up and and now, here they are in this compromised, pagan worship, spiritual adultery. They get into trouble, and what do they do? They start turning to the world for their help. The world does not have the answers. God has the answers, amen? And so, here we see that, uh, that now in their confusion, they don't even know which way to turn when they're in trouble. They don't even know where help comes from anymore. I pray that all of us would, uh, would always know where our help comes from, that we wouldn't ever start to chase after the world and to the experts in the world that will tell you how to solve your problems and, and how to make you happy in the seminars and, and all of the philosophies and everything that is out there. It's, it's not going to bring you where you want to go. The Lord is the one that will lead us. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to the house of Judah, and I, even I, will tear them and go away. And I will take them away, and no one shall rescue. And I will return again to my place till they acknowledge their offense, and then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. So if God is the one that's bringing the judgment against them, right, who, who can you turn to that's going to help you when God is the one that is going to be bringing the judgment? He says, like, I'm, like, I'm a lion. I will come in and just and take you like prey and pick you up and carry you off, and there, there is no one that's going to pull you out of the mouth of the, uh, of the lion. He says, but 
when you seek me, you will find me. Then they will seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. And so, here we see, you know, one of the sad truths. I find it a sad truth that oftentimes affliction is the only way God can get our attention. <laughs> you know, and so we won't listen, we won't listen. And he's like, okay, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> and I'm thankful. I'm thankful even for the affliction that the Lord will bring in my own life to, to correct me. And, you know, and thank you, Lord. Here's, here's something that I take great comfort in in my own life. And it's a principle that I think is important in, in all of our lives. And that is that God always uses, ready, the least amount of force necessary. That's how gentle God is. God never uses too much force. Whenever you're disciplining, it's like, oh, was that too much? Was that, was that not enough? Because what's the purpose of discipline? The purpose of discipline is just to turn the direction. That's it. And so the minute that you've got them turned, that, that was the, the purpose. And God always uses the least amount of force necessary to get our heads turned around. The least amount of force necessary. To turn us. And so I always pray, God, give me a teachable spirit. <laughs> Help me to turn quickly. And so in our lives, we want to be gentle, but we don't want to be compromised, and we don't want to be ineffective. And so there is that balance here. And, and so in their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. Whenever we are in affliction, the first question that I always ask the Lord, is this about perseverance or is this a correction? Is this just a trial that I'm going through that now you're just teaching me perseverance? Or is there something in my life that's going on that you are trying to get my attention for? And so affliction is a tool that the Lord will use in our lives to mold us and change us. And, and it says that in their affliction, when they're afflicted, then they are going to earnestly seek me. Chapter 6, verse 1. Come and let us return to the Lord. Isn't that a great line? <laughs> Come. Let us return to the Lord. It's like, come, let us return to sanity. <laughs> come, let's, uh, let us now uh, enter into the fullness of what God has for us. What, what has been distracting you? What, what has been taking your attention away from the Lord and the, and the things of the Lord? We live in a distracted world. We have distracted drivers. How many of you have ever looked at a text while you were driving, put your hand up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> distractedness, distractedness, focus. Everything is moving so fast. Our culture is moving so fast. The distractedness of our, of our culture. And, and it says, come now, let us return to the Lord. Let us stop being so distracted by everything that is going on. Be still and what? No. Oh, that I am God. How hard it is to be still. How hard it is to be still. My phone wakes me up in the morning. I have used it as an alarm clock. It sits next to my bed. And, 
And immediately after I shut off the alarm, I'm opening it up to see what's going on and what's happening. And, and, and the day is upon me. I have to force and fight for that quiet time. Fight for that time to just be still and know that I am God. Come. He says, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. And so here we see that once again, 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. His rod and his staff, they, they what? They comfort me. The rod and the staff, they, they comfort me. Th those are instruments of discipline. <laughs> Sheep don't really like the rod very much and the staff. <laughs> but yet, what is the shepherd saying? That, that, that the shepherd uses them to keep me where? In green pastures and brings me beside the still water. And so the, the Lord will give us those corrections, those, those taps. But guess what? He, he heals us back up again. He does what's necessary. Your relationship with God is the most important thing that he's concerned about with you. We're concerned with all of our prayer requests. Oh, Lord, help me with this and help me get this promotion and help me to not get fired and help me with, you know, making all of these, you know, different prayer requests. And, and the Lord's like, hey, I hear that. I know that's really important. What about us? <laughs> you know, what about, what about us? You know, and, and so we come to him and, and, and we bring our prayer requests about our life. But do you know what he wants to talk to you about? Uh, how are we doing? How are we doing? He loves you so much. He loves you so much. And he's certainly willing to help you. But your relationship with him, that's the most important thing that he is concerned with. Your relationship with him, listen, is the conduit through which every blessing in your life is going to flow. If you have a, a very narrow relationship with him, then, then the blessings that he can pour through that are going to be limited to that diameter. But if your relationship with the Lord is broad and thick and deep and wide, then, then the blessings that he can, he can pour through those on, uh, onto your life is going to be incredible. And, and to think that we're the ones in our life that create the diameter of the flow of God's blessings into our life that's completely up to us to control. And so we have the relationship with God that we want. If we respond to him, he'll respond to us. If we withdraw and we want space, God gives us our space. And so he, he gives us and allows us the relationship with him that, that we want. One of my prayers is salt our tongues so we're thirsty for you, Lord. You know, the old trick that uh, trying to get a, a baby that won't nurse to nurse. And you just can't make them drink. You can't make them 
nurse, <laughs> one, one of our sons, and I'm not going to tell you which one. <laughs> but he, Amber had such a hard time nursing. He, he, he would just like be nursing and just like, just fall. He was more interested in sleeping than nursing, you know, and, and stuff. But, but the way the trick is, is to just put salt on their tongue. And after about five minutes, <laughs> they can't find the, find the milk fast enough, you know, just, yes, they're thirsty now. And now it's a, it's a solution to the problem that, uh, that they've got in their life. And, and that's a prayer of mine. God, salt my tongue, salt my tongue so that I am just, I'm just desperately thirsty for the word of God. <laughs> And so, he is stricken, but he will bind us up. And look at this, verse 2. After two days, he will revive us, and on the third day, he will raise us up. Does that sound familiar? That on the third day, <laughs> that he will uh, raise us uh, up, that we may live in his sight. And so, uh, we see this reference of the Lord's resurrection as a, a primary. Here, we see that... Two days, Jesus now, his body was in the tomb. The third day, he rose again. I love the way that God keeps putting these portrait strokes, these individual strokes of, of prophecy around the, uh, the Messiah throughout the whole Old Testament. It is just one fabulous paint by numbers that's the, that, that's what the old testament is and as you just color in the strokes it is one beautiful magnificent portrait of jesus christ and so how glorious it it is let us know verse three let us pursue the knowledge of the lord his going forth is established as the morning he will come to us like the rain like the latter and former reign to the earth. And, and so let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. What a great prayer. Exalting our tongues for the word of God. Let us pursue the knowledge of God. Of all the things that we want to be knowledgeable about, the most important thing to be knowledgeable about is in God who has revealed himself to us. The Bible tells us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Well, the grace is the experience of living day to day with the Lord in your life and being saved. So that's, that's growing in the grace of our Lord and Savior and grow in the knowledge of him. Understand the, the spiritual kingdom and the physical kingdom and the fleshly battles and the spiritual battles. Understand where you're headed, the temptations of the enemy, the armor of God. The, the, these are the, the things that we are to know and to grow. The knowledge of the Lord, it is precious. It is worth more than fine gold. And so uh, here, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Men's and women's Bible study, they just completed. They just wrapped up for the year. And what a year we had just studying the Word of God, the, 
the growth and the groups, the leaders and, and the individuals and, and the ways that the, uh, the men and the women both studied the same study so that they could talk about their and study together. It was just a magnificent year of growing in the knowledge of the Lord and, and to be able to study the Word of God and then talk about it and to be able to share and ask questions about it. So, so vital and let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord and his going forth is establishes the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. Now, in an agrarian society, which is what they were, they had crops, you had farmers and you had flocks. And so you had crops and flocks and that's, that was what their economy was built around, those those two arenas. But both of those are dependent upon the rain. And in Israel, there's the early rain, there's the spring rains that come, and then there is the latter seasoned rains that come in the, in the wintertime. And, and if they don't get those cycles of both the early rains and the latter rains, then, then that's a pretty arid environment over there, and, and the crops aren't going to grow. And when your crops aren't growing, then you can't feed the flocks, and the flocks get lean, and then they're not producing their milk. And, you know, the land that flows with milk and honey Honey, and talks about verdant and green because the, the land that flows with milk means that all the livestock has plenty of pasture, nice green pasture, so they can produce that milk. So, and milk and honey, the bees need the flowers. And so, the, uh, again, the waterings of the rain. So one of the judgments of God is he says that I will withhold the, the latter rains. I'll bring drought to the land. And so, when, uh, when you're dependent upon the, uh, the rain now, uh, I think about the faith of farmers and, and, and how you put your seed into the ground, you do all the work of plowing it and putting the seed in, and, and then you're just watching. And, and now if the rain doesn't come, you don't have a harvest. It starts off good, but between the time that it's in the ground and the time that you get it into the, the, the harvest, that, that is an entire time of just, you are just dependent upon God and, and the prayer life of God. When we were in Israel this last time with Tal, we had a great tour guide named Tal. And, and Tal said that, uh, you know, nowadays we don't, we don't need God any longer because we've got all of our ability to water the crops with, uh, with all of the sprinklers. And, and where once you needed to be completely dependent upon God, he says now the farmers are independent of God. They've, they've got it solved. He says that's not a good thing, but they don't need to pray any longer. They just need to set their timers and just water their crops. But God says here that I'll send you the early rains and I'll send you the, the late rains. When you pursue me and, and when I am the most important thing in your life, then these other things, they, they will take care of themselves. Oh, Ephraim, what shall I do to you? What shall I do to you? 
It's like your kids in trouble. They, you told them not to. They did it anyway. You told them again not to. You come back and you come back. And it's like you know the child is there. They got frosting all over their face. Their hands are just caught. You know. And it's like, what am I going to do with you? What am I going to do? Well, just let me tell you, this is not going to end well for you. <laughs> this is not going to end well for you. That old saying, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And boy, you sure cannot understand that until you are a mother or a father. You can hear those words and say, oh, yeah, you want a bat? Can we trade places? <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're small. Oh, you disobedient child. What am I going to, what am I going to do? What shall I do to you? Oh, Judah, what shall I do to you? For, for your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. They had rejected all of his attempts to bring them to their senses. They, their love for the Lord was transitory at best. Like dew that burns away, like a morning cloud that just evaporates. And therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like light that goes forth. We see that God's people had failed to, to respond. I have hewn them by the prophets. And so it's, you know, it's talking about the wood that has the knots in it. And so they would hew out the knots so that they can make it useful. I, I, I've sent the prophets to hewn them. And I've slain them. My words like axes or hammers to cut off their roughness, to make them fit for use, but the effort has, has not achieved its results. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice in the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. They would come and offer God his present and, and then they would head back out the door. And I thought about a husband that brings a gift home to his wife, gives her a nice dress and a pair of shoes, and it's always exciting to open up a gift and and to have that gift, and and then he leaves the house to go to his lover's arms. I gave you a gift. Aren't you happy? It's like happy with the gift. I want you. I don't want a gift. See, they were coming and bringing a sacrifice to the Lord. Here, Lord, this is what you want. And then they would leave and into the arms of the pagan gods and into the uh, to the worship of these. And and God's like, I I don't want sacrifice. I don't, I don't want a gift. I want relationship. I want relationship with you. It's interesting because Matthew was a tax collector, you remember, and 
man, when you were a tax collector, you, you had bottomed out. You, you made a lot of money, but you had no friends, and all the Jews, you basically had crossed over to the, to the enemy's side. And, and you remember how Jesus comes to Matthew and tells him, follow me. And Matthew leaves that tax booth. He, I think he ran out of that tax booth. And, you know, and, and that Jesus would want him and allow him. And you, you remember that, that Matthew had made all this money, but now his money meant nothing. Now he just wanted to serve the Lord and follow the Lord. So he gives a big feast and, and he invites all the other tax collectors, you know, so that Jesus can come and go, go reach them. You know, I think it's the only people that would come <laughs> were, were other tax collectors. I don't think anybody else would come to his party except other tax collectors. But, but Jesus was going to be there and Matthew in his heart, man, he hopes that, that, that it'll happen for them, that, that what's happened for him and and you remember how it was that the, when the Pharisees saw it, they, they said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You see, the, in the same way that the people of Hosea's day were offering sacrifices, but their hearts were just filled with iniquity, so also were the Pharisees. They, they, they were keeping the externals of the law, but they had no relationship with God at all. Stop with the outward. Let's get down. Let's get real. Let's get to the inward. That's what God wants. And so, verse 7, but like men, they transgressed the covenant, and there they dealt treacherously with me. So rather than pleasing God, the people had broken the covenant and been unfaithful to God. Gilead is a city of evildoers and defiled with blood, as bands of robbers lie in wait for a man, so the company of priests murder on the way to Shechem. And so on the way to Shechem, good people would pass by Gilead and Shechem so that they could go to Jerusalem to worship. And so the religious leaders that are leading them astray, they're, they're like robbers that are trying to take people that are headed towards the true worship and now plunder them. I have seen horrible things in the house of Israel. There is the harlotry of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. And also, O Judah, a harvest is appointed for you when I return the captives uh, of my people. And so Judah was feeling smug because the judgment was coming upon the 10 northern tribes and, and they're the southern tribes. But God is warning them that they're committing the same sins and don't follow the northern ten tribes in their sin, which is exactly what Judah ends up doing. And we see that ultimately they're going to be judged, not by the Assyrians, but by the Babylonians. And they're going to be taken into captivity. And so here we see the love of God's heart towards us, the way that he is chasing us, and the way that he desires us to turn and to chase 
him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. And God, we pray that you would just continue to help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.